everybody, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me again for another journey through the decades. I'm Jay from uh, Filmster Podcast. Uh, Mike, thanks again for having me on the show as we take this decade-by-decade cinematic journey uh, for the past 12 decades on great films of each era that somehow I haven't seen and I think a lot of them you haven't seen either. We're we're at the end of our silent film era here with this one this week. Yeah, and uh, this week we were talking about, uh, well, so last episode we talked about Buster Keaton and the general and a a very famous, very special silent film star, like I mentioned in that episode, because of the large spectacles of the stunts that he had done and now we're moving on to city lights 1931 with uh, charlie chaplin another very well revered uh silent film comedian and 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 i think in different ways and i was thinking about this um because i i at the time of this recording i i started the movie at one point and then i was and then just with like work and and life getting in the way i i stopped halfway through and then yesterday i was like oh no i didn't finish the movie so i finished it quickly and um and i was thinking about like what what are the differences between buster keaton and charlie chaplin and and i was because you know these are like the two silent film era names that i think most people like associate with this time era and you know, Buster Keaton is very, quote, like, loud. I don't, like, it's just more in, like, the stunts that he does. But Chaplin is way more nuanced in, in his comedy. You know, it's more about, like, the idiosyncratic nature of his characters. And just, you know, it's 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 the small bits of, you know, how he walks. It's, like, all, like, the physical nature of his comedy. You know, it's, it's him walking around, especially in City Lights. You know, him walking around, always, tap, like, you know, bowing his hat, like, oh, hello, hello to everyone, you know, even just in, like, the most random situations. Um, Also, just, uh, you know, he's got a lot of close-ups and facial expressions of what he does, and it's all about, it's all about, like, those medium shots to the close-ups of just, like, the absurdity of the situations that he finds himself in. But, uh, yeah, City Lights, so have you seen this movie before? No. Like, it seems like, it seems like we've all seen bits of these movies and uh and it's just like a collective like you you've seen the movie through just like them referencing it here people talking about it here or just like bits here so i've seen i know i've seen part of the gags in this before and i know i've seen it referenced in the chaplin movie that robert Downey jr was in um which uh you know it's it's kind of like you know gandhi the movie which is like i saw that once and it's great i've actually seen that movie twice i'll probably never watch gandhi again unless for some reason you want to review it or something like that <laughs> but uh, yeah but like, and i feel the same about that chaplin movie i'm like i saw that i don't never do see that again like I don't, I don't feel like that's something i really want to um i really want to do again uh, but i know i've seen parts of this before but to, to go back to something you were saying like the difference between charlie chaplin and buster keaton is one word subtlety Charlie Chaplin believed very much in the idea of subtlety and gentlemanliness, whereas Buster Keaton was more bombastic and you know, they're both vaudeville, but Buster Keaton was a different, he's more on the Marx Brothers kind of zany end of things, where Charlie Chaplin's a lot more, it's all about sort of being kind of frustrated and sort of frumpish and he's just kind of scuttling around through life. He, I mean, he's playing the tramp character, which has been in every, you know, that's what he's known for. And, you could almost say like, it's just that same you know character going through all these different adventures. And that's the big difference between the two of them. And then city lights, 
was was a big gamble because in 1931 the silent film era was ending and it was going out and Chaplin was worried that you know this wasn't going to work and so he demanded like ticket prices be higher and stuff like that. he was trying to make sure they because I mean this is written produced directed by him starring him with you know most of his friends and music's by him and all kinds of things going on here so but he's he's definitely heavily involved and heavily invested in this and it was a big gamble and it paid off huge because it I mean it made I think they, they said the budget on this ultimately got up to about a million and a half dollars when it was all said and done. And, but it made over $4 million worldwide and then has, of course, had this huge life afterward. But it got you know critical acclaim and all of that at the time. I mean, it was it was lauded for the great work that it was. And it, it's one of those things that it took him three or four years to write this and get it to come together. And I think it's as much about Charlie Chaplin as it is anything. Because if you look at the original theatrical poster – the word city lights are smaller than Charlie Chaplin. It is selling <laughs> an experience of Charlie Chaplin in city lights. You know, like, don't worry about the story. You're here to see Charlie Chaplin do Charlie Chaplin things. And so I, I really, again, it's one of those that I'm like, I know I've seen this reference. I've seen clips of it here and there just through the Chaplin stuff through the years, but I never watched it all the way through. And I only really got to watch it once, but it's one of those films I feel like I got, and it's definitely one that I I want to go back and spend some more time with too, because it's got so much. Gosh, there's so much in it, and you know I've I've heard through the years like people like Kubrick and even Orson Welles talked about how much he loved this movie and Spielberg and all these guys, particularly Spielberg. Like you can feel like there's a huge influence on modern cinema. And, and we'll still call Spielberg modern cinema because he's still making movies, but all of his tree, you know, too, like they definitely owe a lot to this. And I think if you're a comedian that works more in the subtle spaces versus the big spaces, so if you're more of a Bill Murray versus say uh, Chevy Chase or what, or a Dan Aykroyd or something like that, then you, Charlie Chaplin is one of the things that you, you latch onto, you know, like I feel like, you know, Wes Anderson draws a lot into this when he wants to be funny, you know, and things like that. Like I, I, I there's a lot of things I could say about this, but um, yeah, I think it's neat too that the romantic comedy is still the motif here, but how it plays so much differently in this movie than it did in the general. In the general, it was very much a like byproduct of the story about the trains. And this, it's it's all about this, you know, just a hobo guy trying to win the girl and he's got no chance, but he's just too sweet. And the fact that she's blind doesn't seem to matter. And that's, you know, it's, that's played as a gag. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's funny how all of it works itself out here, but um, yeah, man, uh, a movie that I, I don't know if they made a colorized version of this. You referenced that the last time with the, the general, like I only watched the once, but I can't imagine what this would look like in color. Like it's so rich the way it's lit. And the, the black and whites and the way it all sticks out, it's it's pretty amazing to look at. Yeah, I uh, I I think uh, especially like speaking of like with Charlie Chaplin, like I, I have a not a limited exposure. I think more of a silent film. Like again, it's like I've seen snippets from from his work. Um, I've seen a few of the movies, um, but I, like I had seen City Lights again similar time when I watched the general, except where I think the general, not to say this isn't accessible, but I, I just felt like the general was, was way more streamlined and a little bit more accessible from like the stunt perspective. Mm -hmm. And just like, it's very, like very clear what this movie's about where here, when I watched it, you know, I had a very elementary understanding 
cinematic language and cinema and I just and I sort of felt like this here but we'll get to why I want to keep I want to revisit this because as I was watching this I was like oh like the narrative this is interesting because it's it just seems like it's it's just skit after skit after skit after skit with like these loose threads like holding the narrative together mm-hmm. but with that being said it's at the very end with their final interaction, which we'll get to, because I feel like that deserves like its like its own discussion when our uh, when the blind girl and the tramp meet and they're just looking at each other. I found myself smiling with Chaplin, and it was that moment that the thread was pulled tight and this tapestry like comes together, which I thought was amazing when I when I finished the movie, where I was like, whoa. That moment just completely changed like how I viewed this movie and it made me appreciate like everything up to this point. I just thought that was amazing because I can't remember a movie that made me do that in recent memory of just this one scene brought the entire film together. Um, like if that if that final scene was shot differently and wasn't there because it's so sweet mm-hmm. that if that wasn't there, I probably would have been like, eh, like I think it's overhyped, but it was that moment that brought everything together. Um, but yeah, Chaplin definitely the the subtle, the more subtle comedian. Um, I, I and he's just he, there's a reason why he's more um, why he or not more why he's just so revered. He also was a very intelligent filmmaker, and mm-hmm. then especially when he gets into uh, the the talkies of uh, like when films start to become more like traditional, what we think of them, you know, the dictator, like he definitely was a very political guy, you know, where we felt like the, 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 the general was very apolitical and, and just didn't have an agenda. Yeah. Chaplin definitely wanted things across in his movies. And, uh, and you could definitely, I mean, the, the, the dictator is something completely different, but I definitely feel like he has themes that he wants to hit on in his films. And, uh, but with city lights, yeah, this was something that I had seen. I, I pretty much considered this my first time viewing it because I couldn't remember really anything from it except the boxing scene and the uh, the the water sequence, like under the bridge when the when the gentleman tries to kill himself, which was very interesting to see. We're like, yeah. whoa, this guy is trying to off himself, and also in many different ways, he's trying to off himself. And and Chaplin is there to be like, oh no 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 no, we're 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 okay, we're not gonna do that. Um, but yeah, uh, City Lights definitely. Something that I think people need to talk about if they're not already talking about. And I think it's it's in a line of a lot of romantic movies through the years where famously the the stars, uh, Virginia Sherrill and Charlie Chaplin, absolutely did not get along on the set to the point that he fired her because she missed like a hairdresser's appointment or something. But he realized later, oh, I spent too much money already shooting her, so I can't reshoot her scenes but a friend of hers said, well, hold out for more money since he's going to have to rehire her. So she ended up getting a better gig out of it when it was all said and done. But they did not get along. But I often think, like, and I don't think you have to have this, but, like, that animosity when two good actors can work on it together can look like passion the same way as much they disdain each other. I think I, I, probably my kind of go-to reference for that has always been Richard Gere and Deborah Winger in An Officer and a Gentleman, which is a steamy, passionate movie. You know, lots of, uh, not only the love scenes, but just them together. And they you know, really go in, in a lot of intricacies of, of relationship. And they absolutely, to this day, would claw each other's eyes out if they saw each other. They hate each other. <laughs> they hated each other on that set. But 
the you know, director and company were able to figure that out. And so it's a credit to both of them that they were able to, to get the performance together and make such a sweet performance. But this whole movie is built on gags. I mean, it starts off with a gag when they're opening up that new monument and the tramps asleep on, on it. And he keeps trying to climb off of it. And, you know, he's tipping his hat to the, to the uh, inanimate objects, but he keeps getting stuck on the sword or on the hand or he's, you know, his butt gets stuck in the air and it's, you know, he's just being a goofball. But it's all very like, oh, excuse, pardon me, excuse me, man, pardon me, pardon me, you know. And when he when he runs across the newsboys who you know give him a hard time because of the way he's dressed, and he has to kind of chide him a little bit, and they would just look at him like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know. Like it's I don't know. There's there's a sweetness to this movie, and to these kind of movies that is definitely something lost to time. Like these, they don't make these anymore, man. Nowadays, everything is so overwrought. I feel like with so much drama, uh, even comedies, that we just don't do this anymore. And um, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's sad to see, but it, it's it's cute to see in the way that Chaplin plays it off here, because, again, he's playing a role that everyone would know him for. It's what everyone knows him for. You know Chaplin, you know the, the Tramp character. And to see him doing it here, this feels like apex to all of that stuff, right? I mean, it is it is an incredible feat of acting to watch him unveil all of these emotions and all of this story with, you know, more title cards, a more whimsical score, but also against the backdrop of you know, the the ridiculous millionaire who's trying to kill himself and like all of that goofy stuff going on and the blind girl who he, you know, he's worried about the way he presents himself to the blind girl. And this, the absurdity of that is funny to me. Like it's, I, I'm sitting here cracking up thinking about it now. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like just listening to you talk about Chaplin and, it kind of a I don't know if this is an apt comparison, but I feel like I'm I'm reminded of uh, funny enough Chris Farley during this yeah. as 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 much of a big personality and as much as he could be like kind of like Buster Keaton and just like how wild and erratic his stunts can be. Uh, I think I always think of like Tommy Boy, where mm-hmm. I think that's like the perfect Chris Farley vehicle where it can show like it can show off his big like erratic self but also it has like subtle moments of of uh those comedy and just like how he reacts to things and how he talks about things and i feel like i mean i don't know if chris farley really liked charlie chaplin i mean he i feel like farley was a uh in his private life could be it was a very um quiet person and very he always was he's an observational person but i for some reason i was just thinking of charlie chaplin and a lot of these uh i think just like the pure like sweetness and essence of like the tramp character is what like tommy boy kind of speaks to me in some moments of that film but yeah i love um yeah just just the like you said how he presents himself to the blind girl and he is just like almost like love at first sight and it's just so sweet watching these characters interact and and it's so funny knowing that they absolutely hated each other in real life on the scene uh on the on the sets and and, in these scenes because i i don't feel like that comes across very well and i think what you said is like that passion comes across as well between these two characters um well, I mean, you talk I, about, you talk about the, the funny part of the absurdity of like, can you have a blind girl have a love at first sight you know, movie? And yes, if it's the from her perspective, which is love at first touch. And it's, just, mm-hmm. it's at the end when she's giving him that coin, she's, you know, touching his hands when she realizes like, oh, it was you, you know, all along. And I'm like, yeah, that's 
how that would work out. I mean, I kind of think that's, that's funny, you know, and then he, I think his title cards are like, Oh, so now you see, and she kind of laughs that off. Like, yeah, I guess so. You know, that, that's, it's cute. It's, there's a, there's a real cuteness to it again. Whereas, you know, some of these things could, they could be played off as, or I'll back up. Cuteness could also be really saccharine and kind of annoying, you know, uh, think of our Spielberg oh, yeah. schmaltziness, you know, that can, that can really fail sometimes. Whereas in this one, it seems very earnest, you know, and I think that's the, the fun part of this. Um, I also have to say that the the idea of the millionaire that's going to throw himself off the bridge and the, the tramp intervenes in so many different ways is uh, it's, it's funny. And some of the way the comedy plays out in that, I have a very strange, more modern reference to that. There's a good bit of comedy that Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are doing when she's going to throw herself off the edge of the Titanic <laughs> at the beginning of that movie. And I don't know that they're referencing this. I don't think this is something that would be in Cameron's wheelhouse. It probably is in DiCaprio's, but it maybe maybe Winslet's too. But I just felt like I was watching those two characters, you know, in a different time, just for a minute or two. Yeah, no, I see it because well, and that's like it's funny. Um... How, you know, in the general critics, five years before critics were like, you can't laugh at war, but you can laugh at suicide. Right. Um, very, very like, oh, OK, like, that's interesting sure. um, because this guy, it's not like he's just like standing there like um, like wonderful life. And he's like, I, I like God help. Like, it's not like that. Like he throws himself and almost kills uh, the tramp character multiple times like because he just keeps throwing himself and throwing himself i guess like, it's like the repetition of the comedy mm-hmm. um but yeah i guess i i think back of that scene in titanic and there's a little bit of comedy infuse where you know when leonardo dicaprio jack dawson says oh you ever been to wisconsin she's like and even she's like what yeah what what are you talking about um and then when she falls off it's like oh comedy's over like yeah. <laughs> we're we're this is serious but um but I, and one of the things I want to say about the narrative, too, is they don't do overly – it's not overly schmaltzy. Like, mm-hmm. almost like the, the blind girl, like, drops out of the movie for most of this, which I – which at first I was like, oh, that's kind of – like, I knew that that was, like, the driving force and that was the setup for a lot of um, – for a lot of these actions that Charlie Chaplin or the Tramp uses throughout the film but it almost was like oh are we ever going to get back to that plot point because this is where i kind of mentioned the beginning where when i was first watching this like not remembering the ending or or just the how i was going to respond to the ending was i was like oh this just seems like just separate uh, like set up for gags and stunts and and sequences for for as a vehicle for Chaplin just to uh, be like the star of the scene mm-hmm. and so like this is like that first one where we get you know the under the bridge and and the millionaire um, who like the bipolar millionaire who becomes a completely or like the jackal and Hyde like the completely different person when he's drunk and then when he's sober he's just like a complete asshole mm-hmm. uh, but like under the bridge and then them partying and then him waking up in his home and he's like get out of my house and um <laughs> and uh but but these all these sequences are very entertaining within themselves you know under the bridge you know the cop comes up and they're all I, I just love the set design too of like under the bridge where yeah there's like a mode of water that they just keep throwing themselves into and then uh it's just very a very dynamic scene and then them partying with them you know dance like 
the tramp dancing with the guy's wife or the, the guy's date, I should say. And then uh, just like the, the eruption of like people fighting and then like them partying and then waking up in the house all like the next morning. Um, yeah, I really it, it, there's like this really good sense of fluidity throughout all the scenes. But as it goes on, I was like, OK, where where's like like I said, there's almost like these uh it's like a quilt or a tapestry it's like these these, there are these moments here and there and then there's like loose threads that are kind of i feel like the connecting tissue but then like i said at the end they all get pulled tight and everything comes cohesively together yeah no and i think i think that's the hardest part of sketch comedy and that's what this is it's it's a bunch of sketches put together and and i think you know a lot of times people say you know that's what sort of fails about a lot of the quote Saturday night live movies when they take the sketch and they run it out to 90 minutes or whatever is that, well, there's only so much steam that can possibly have. Right. And some of them work. Some of them don't like blues brothers, a great example of one that worked once it did not work in the sequel. I want to be clear, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, that first one that, that totally works. But then you take something like, you know, night at the Roxbury, which is a great gag on that show when they did it. But as a movie is, that's not, nah, you don't want to watch Chris Catan and Will Ferrell do that for 90 minutes or a hundred minutes, whatever long, however long it was. And yeah, that, that to me plays differently. And that's, what's hard to do in a, in any movie in particular, but especially sketch comedy movies like this is, is, is a bunch of gags piece to piece to piece. Right. And I think it pulls together though, because it's all centered on a character that's easy to follow. And that's the thing about Chaplin's character. That's easy to sort of latch onto. He's a great avatar because even though he's got so much characteristic to himself, and does things, he's also kind of a blank. He's an avatar for an audience, right? And so it's easy to kind of get on the side of the tramp because he doesn't do anything that's really offensive. You know, he's just there. In fact, he's sort of the outcast of society. So you want to root for him. He's the underdog. And yeah, and even these gags that he comes up with, like, I think of like these moments too, like when he's pouring the bottles of alcohol down the tramp's pants, for some reason, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And I think it's just how it's played of just like, Oh, bottles empty. Let's get another one down his pants. And it just like keeps going on and on, Mm -hmm. but it's like the just perfect length. What else did I write down? I think at the party, there's like the cigar gags. There's like the pasta gag with the balloons and like all the dancing. Um, and, and I first thought that this was going to be like the setup of like, like something like we mentioned uh, Harold Lloyd in Safety Last, where it's like this completely like sexist of the time plot where he uh, he goes to the city to make a name for himself and he's working under some like schmuck and he's making nothing. But he keeps blowing all his paycheck to send this love interest uh jewelry and the mother's like oh well he's this this rich guy he, he's not going to be single for long you have to go to the city to like claim your man and then he has to think of ways that to make it seem like he's in charge he's thinking of ways to yell at his boss he's like sitting in the ceo's chair and and here you know he picks up the blind girl in uh in the millionaire's car and and he um you know is like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna solve your rent problem i'm gonna buy you all this food and this and this and that's that okay like we're gonna go this like kind of sexist like i have to like uh lie to this person to to convince them that i'm something that i'm not but it it almost like subverts that we don't really go down that track because it because like you said the tramp is just so pure that it almost seems like he doesn't have like a bad bone in his body like he's always just trying to to help people and even like in like later in the boxing scene which we'll get to like he's not trying to hurt the guy 
he's just trying to like avoid him and almost yeah. like the fight is just by accident that he's like winning at some points and then not like it almost is just like he's just responding to events that are out before him he's living very much in that moment yeah well i mean i think that's the fun part let's talk about the boxing scene is that the tramp is is really you know trying to get out of this you know and he's 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 digging in and out you know and he's, he thinks they're gonna go easy or whatever because the boxer's like oh we'll split the money or whatever but the the boxer's like no that's not that's not how that's gonna be so he goes out there to try to knock him out and i i got really i got a big kick out of the fact that he didn't completely worm his way out of it you know like you think like oh he's just gonna slip and slide and this guy's gonna eventually punch himself in the face or something you know and nope he finally catches him and it's over you know, like, oh, well, yeah. that's, I mean, that's, but that's loses. Huge. I was so. like, what? He, he, I'm like, he loses after all mm-hmm. that he loses. But, and that's like with, with the, um, it's almost like a ballet that I, and this is when like, I really appreciate the, um, the, it's the subtlety, but also just like the planning of Chaplin. Like, and I feel like we've, this, the boxing scene is something we've all seen mm-hmm. of him. I feel like it's like this scene uh the end of the film when he's like smiling mm-hmm. and you know modern times when he's roller skating i feel like yeah. those are like the three moments that we like you quintessential you haven't seen chaplin you've seen these scenes when he's hiding behind the ref and they're like ducking and weaving it's almost like they're all they're dancing yeah, they are dancing. which i know like especially with boxing they attribute it to, like oh it's a dance of uh, of like it's a combat dance um and like graceful fighters who aren't just like heavyweights that aren't just like pounding each other like mike tyson style um they are like almost there's they find a rhythm in the combat and uh you you see that here and and it's just so like dizzying that you also are like whoa whoa who's fighting who and even like you get lost with like the ref and the uh the opposing boxer and even just like the gags when um you know, like the bell gets wrapped around his neck and he keeps falling and the bell keeps ringing and they just keep getting back up. And then he knocks, gets knocked over, knocked down and the bell. Um, and even just like the moments too of the tramp when he, he walks into the ring with his hat on and he's just shaking the hands of everyone. Yeah. And, and it's almost like, and especially like before the fight, like he's almost trying to be like, Oh, I'm so sweet. Like, it's it's very like kind of the opposite. It's very like almost feminine where he's just like, uh yeah, hey buddy, like let's take it easy on each other and he's like trying to seem like as little of a threat as possible. And then he's like rubbing he takes the, the lucky rabbit's foot and is like patting his eyes, patting his face, and then he sees the boxer come back with who got whose foot whose lucky rabbit's foot it was and he like tries to wipe off the 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 luck the luck of it. And uh yeah, it's just it's such a an iconic sequence and that at the end of the day like he, he loses where you're yeah. like the scene goes on for like five uh, five or seven minutes and you're like oh he loses how is well because the whole setup is he asked um the blind girl is going to get evicted unless her rent is paid tomorrow and he's like oh don't worry i'll figure it out i'll figure it out which is funny that he never says oh i'm a mil i'm a rich rich millionaire i'll figure it out don't worry he goes the route of don't worry i'll figure it out for you don't worry right. about so, it. always some, some and you know how many times is there a scheme of some kind like well we'll go and you know win the prize money to save the 
farm Uncle Jesse, you know, Dukes of Hazard or whatever, you know, like there's all those things that have happened a thousand times. And it, it's neat to see the, you know, again, roots of it here. I think what's neat too is that we're watching the tramp completely fall apart here because he, he bumps into the millionaire for the third time who invites him to the mansion, you know, that you know, that's how he's able to sort of solve the girl's plight or whatever. But the the millionaire gets knocked out and and burglars take his money, but the 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 tramp is arrested by the police because the money that the millionaire gave him, he doesn't remember giving it to him because he was drunk and got hit over the head. And so he, he like has to tell the girl, like, I'm going to have to go away for a while. I'll be back soon. And he goes to prison and it's like, it's months later or whatever. It's like, Holy cow. Like this guy went to, went to the who for her. Like, this is wow. Poor guy can't buy luck at all. And I think that's the whole, the whole crux of the story is that we're following someone who cannot get a break no matter what. And by the end of it, he's completely just like given up, right? He's just like, whatever. But that's when he, he, you know, he bumps into the girl one more time and she, she is able to you know find her way to him. And I don't know. It's, it's cute how, how they, they wrap all that up. But I mean, he's had the complete down and out by the end of this movie. And he's, if you can be more down and out than being a tramp. Yeah, and I was I, I was just looking up what so he gets a thousand dollars from the millionaire. I was mm-hmm. like, how much money was that in nineteen thirty one? So that was roughly like eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and and the rent was twenty two bucks or something because Ooh. um and I and I like how that like they think of that because mm-hmm. uh, I forget what like the, what he says to the millionaire um, to get the money. It, it, it isn't like swindle him or anything. No. It's just, I think he's just like, here you go. He doesn't apply to the girl. Like he, he, he says what he's going to use it for. And the millionaire is, is not a bad person. He's a jerk. He's a rich jerk. But he's like, sure. I got that kind of money. You know, he's like, here, what a thousand dollars work out. You're like, hell yeah, that'll work out. Um, because they set up earlier too that uh, there's like some experimental, like blindness cure, like a surgery that mm-hmm. he takes like, like impoverished people as well or whatever and uh and so you know the tramp says oh you can get this surgery oh we'll like i'll figure out your rent he gives her the rent and uh and leaves and yeah i really like that um that moment too i love how just the side bit of the of how the butler just like rolls with everything that Mm -hmm. happens like there's these wild extravagant parties and then uh, and then the millionaire wakes up hungover and sober and says, get everyone out of my house. And he just like throws no. people out of the house. Oh, it's very much the way Michael Goh plays the Butler character in the 1989 Batman Tim Burton movie. I don't know that he's mm. purposely doing that or not, but if you watch him, like every time like Michael Keaton just sets a glass somewhere and it's about to fall, he's right behind him to catch it. And he's just sort of constantly just there in the shadows, you know, making sure everything's okay. And that, I mean, I'm sure that references a lot of stuff, but that's, I, having rewatched that recently and then seeing this, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's Alfred. You know, <laughs> it kind of feels like Tim Burton's Alfred. And I can see Tim Burton digging something like this enough to tell, go out. This is what I want you to do. Yeah. And, and yeah, so yeah, tra- he goes to prison for this one. Uh, and, and, and yeah, again, I, I love like how the robbers come in and then like they leave the gun and then, um, the cops come in, he gives the gun to the butler, the butler gives the gun to Chaplin or to the tramp and he's just like waving it around right. and the cops like, give me the gun back. And he's just like, Oh, okay. Here's the gun. And then he realizes I'll oh, drat. I just gave him the gun. I was surprised that the, he didn't go back and get the other gun. It's like that was locked in the, in the case. Cause then we get like mm-hmm. another thing where uh, the millionaire tries to like 
tries to shoot himself with the gun again. He's like, yeah. oh, no, no, we're going to lock this away. But again, more like jokes about suicide. This one was a little bit more, I guess, I don't want to say subtle. But there was a lot like, of dark pull- humor in this. You're, you're good to call that out. I mean, you're right. Is that This is not, um, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it, it's a very serious subject, but you can see how they're playing it for laughs and how it works here, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I found yeah, I that say, to be. You can't do that today. Yeah, I don't no, think. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be very hard to play that today. Um, and it yeah. and it be something that people would accept. You know what I mean? Like, I think I yeah. think that would, that's the hard part of it. But um, I, again, though, it is funny as heck, though, man. There's no doubt about that. Like, it's it's <laughs> it is funny. it is. What you can't help what's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I, I just love that moment where. Well, it's like funny, I guess, for the audience, or maybe for guys like us. We're like, "Oh, he goes to jail, yeah. okay," and like with the blowing calendar, and and he comes out, he's all torn in rags, and um, even more ragged than sh- he was when he went in. Yeah, yeah, like he's on that street corner. The 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 newsies are like you know harassing him. They like rip his underwear out of his pants or something, and 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 it's kind of that that moment when. Uh, well, the, the the blind girl who's no longer blind, I guess the girl now, she, right. you know, this this rich millionaire walks in and is like, oh, I thought he came back for me. And then they're laughing at him. And at first I was like, oh, man, like got to pour salt in the wounds. Like they're laughing at this guy mm-hmm. and, and he recognizes her with this like wilted flower. And at first I thought she was going to be like, oh, look at this asshole on the street. Like, ah, yeah. ha, it's, it's when she touches and, his hand. But she sees like the gentle way he moves about. And that's what clues her to take a second look that's what's funny and and like i said this up to this point i was i I was on that borderline of like yeah i recommend this especially just for the comedy and chaplin but i was like ah maybe it's a little overrated but then Mm -hmm. at this like very intimate moment of just like a medium shot or like a close-up of these two of you know she touches his hand and it's and and it's that moment that mm-hmm. you know her facial expression changes and she just starts like subtly slowly feeling his hand and then she looks up and chaplin has that i feel like that iconic image that i feel like most people see of chaplin of him holding the flower smiling like mm-hmm. almost nervously like picking at his teeth and just like not like uh like eating his uh or trying to like pick at his uh his fingernails just like oh my god like is she gonna recognize me like please but he's also so happy that she could see that it doesn't matter if she recognizes him yeah um and says oh it was you and says oh uh, you can see now and and just the both of them smiling together and uh we like we fade out on chaplin smiling at her still like looking awkward and nervous but it was so tender and so sweet and i i I can almost like i've been referencing like in my head i almost saw just like the the strings pulled tight and the tapestry is like now woven together and it went from like like okay now i get it because everything that we've seen it it almost it, it's it's now come together mm-hmm. because every scene is is critical for the setup of this one moment and i think that's like the the brilliance of charlie chaplin of just like i i think he he even knew i have to get this scene right yeah. Or nothing works because if this scene wasn't right, I probably would have been like, "Ah, eh, okay, like, like saw that coming." But it's just, it's just like that lightning in a bottle of just everything was so perfect here, and I think that's great because as a silent film era, it's not it, you're just re- relying on the actors' faces and mm-hmm. 
and just like the details of just like Chaplin is super, is acting super nervous, but he but it also he gets across that he's nervous and he hopes that she recognizes him, but also like it doesn't matter if she does. And then the subtlety of just her recognizing him. And I think it all just blends together and makes the entire picture work in a completely different way. It's the culmination of everything that, that completely works. And, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but Charlie Chaplin's score here is just as influential as anything else. And it's just as important to everything else. And I know Jose Padilla did the flower girl theme and that's probably the piece most people remember, which probably would piss Chaplin off to know, but the music works in this too. And it helps tell that, that story. It, it gets the story across the way that he's wanting it to. And I, I think something you said that really, I think really sums it up well, Mike, is that this is fine as a, as a movie, just if it just was what it was like, it's like, yeah, it's okay. You know, like it's not that you know, it's not transcendental in some way. Right. But there's something about the way that he's able to wrap all this absurdity up that makes it completely worth the time of having done, you know, and I, I, I feel like every cheesy romantic comedy that ends that Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks did, you know, or something like that, that ends that everybody just gets all up and oh, that's so obvious or whatever. Well, the reason those last and work is because you buy those characters in some way, you know, you, you buy this, the struggle of uh, where they went through, you buy what Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal go through and then Harry met Sally you want them to you, know, you root for it. And here we're rooting for these people to be together. Like we want them to be together. And I, I, I think for a movie that is so undeniably sweet um, that it could almost be too sweet. The fact that it's still got a little bit of edges to it and that it ends on such a great note. And you know, we don't know what their life's going to be. We don't know the rest of the story. It's just, that's what the ending we want. It makes it, so much the more memorable. And I think that's why people responded to it in its day. And it's why it's considered one of Chaplin's best. And it's, it's a classic, it's a classic movie. And so, yeah, I mean, to wrap it up on that, I mean, this one is definitely a higher rank for me than the general. Um, I would, I almost want to say it's not quite a nine. It's like an 8.75 out of 10. I think it's not quite perfect, but doggone, it's good. And I would definitely be large popcorn territory on, on film strip for me with uh, city lights. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll go a lot of what you said. Yeah. I just, I think it's that last moment that really solidifies it for me that that's the moment that makes this something like truly special. Um, I think the comedy is a little bit, um, I, I like the subtlety of the comedy and just the ingenuity and like the creativity of just making like these small gags, like work on a big scale. Mm -hmm. um, and I just love the personality of like the tramp, you know, I think that there's a reason it's so iconic. He's not just like a bumbling idiot. He's not, um, he's just so pure. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets across in a lot of like Chaplin's work, um, regardless of who the, the man that Charlie Chaplin was, I think his characters are definitely, I feel like they're, they're people that he wants to be, but wasn't. And um, yeah, I think this is something that, again, people should see of this of this era, um, especially exploring Charlie Chaplin. And uh, yeah, it was just that ending that really solidified it for me. Um, I 
I still think I like the general general a little bit more. Maybe that's just uh, I, I I am more blown away by like the spectacle of that type of comedy, especially of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean I I don't like City Lights. Uh, I'm gonna give City Lights. Um, I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Um, I think just because it it's a little there's a little too much of like okay like where is this going like this is just uh, it felt like isolated um comedy bits until the end but i just feel like like as much as that ending like put everything together i felt i was still like when i first watched it on the first like forgetting how it ended i was like eh like okay like where is this going where is this going um i gave it letterbox three out of five stars but uh yeah this would still be a large popcorn um recommendation on film strip so yeah another another great pick jay um very excited now be getting into the i guess more traditional films of uh like you know talking moving pic- t- yeah. talking with sound and moving pictures and uh and especially as we get more and now we can start to see the inspirations of the past like kind of inking into these into the movies of you know today yeah yeah i mean it, it's gonna be fun to switch gears too because you know, we've spent some time in kind of the farcical and and i think we both talked about the dying swan being this um you know deep drama melodrama thing and then you have these two romantic comedies one that's much more action oriented than the other uh to do a couple of noir films now because i think 40s and 50s that's what people think of and so um you know we don't tell what we're doing ahead of time we just tease it so i'll just tease to let you know we're, we're pulling into noirville in the 1940s and 50s here y'all and i can't wait because Again, I look at these and I'm like, how did I miss these two movies? But, well, we're going to check that off the list next. So it's, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. I guess this is more of an impromptu question. I'm curious if, uh, since we did pull an audible for the 60s, from uh, I guess for my recommendation, I'm, I'm curious if there's like a decade that you're most excited for or if like we've passed it already or if there's like a... I, yeah, a decade or slash film that you're most excited there for. There are things coming down the line. Well, I can say, you know, specifically that the next four things we've got lined up, I'm I'm really excited about. From the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. Um, and I think the one in the 1970s is probably the one I'm most interested in seeing because I I really can't believe I've never seen it, but I, I was like, no, I, I mean, I went and looked and looked at trailers and you know, clips and stuff. I was like, nope, I never saw this and I don't know how I missed it, but I'm really interested in that one um, of, of the four, but I'm, I'm jazzed for the next two because I love the noir film stuff anyway. So it's going to be fun to get into that and, uh, you know, and see, see where it goes. And then I'll just tease the one from the sixties. I've, I have good familiarity with the play. And was actually involved in a pandemic oh. Zoom reading of the play. Um, I didn't even realize there was a play. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk movie. about that when we get to it. But they, we're te- we're teasing way too much. We don't want to tease too much. Here. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to get these next four in particular. I think are going to be fun. The the challenge of the '80s and the '90s and the 2000s is finding something I haven't seen. You know, and yeah. so we'll we'll get into those when it, you know we clear the back end of the year. But uh, yeah, these next four decades I think are going to be fun for me because there are films I see referenced in so many other things, but I just never watched them. So now let's, let's get into them and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And uh, Jay, would you like to plug your stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thanks again for having me on. I, of course uh, you can hear more of me over at filmstrippodcast.com. Go to filmstrippodcast.com and you'll find the links to everywhere the show exists. 
Um, we're on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the places you, know, you usually find us. And, um, you know, it's me, Ron, Lindsay, and a big cavalcade of guests that review a lot of different kinds of movies. I mean, we, we've done a little bit of all of it one time or another, I think, and um, have a lot of fun doing it. So go give us a, uh, a look and a listen there. And uh, you can follow the show's social media at Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those kind of places to see what we got coming out. So looking forward to uh, more stuff on Filmstrip, Mike, and looking forward to coming back on Amateur Tours here and talking about uh, some more big films that I haven't seen. Yeah, looking forward to Jay. And as always, guys, you can follow uh, Amateur Tours on Twitter at All Tours Pod. You can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Amateur Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. This is always a blast, um, especially talking with you, Jay. And uh, as always, we'll see you next time.